Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. For all of those uh, watching online, we welcome you to our church. I am uh, Pastor Dick. I'm Pastor Mel's associate minister, and uh, he has escaped Indiana for a few days uh, of rest and relaxation, and I pray that uh, God would just bless him richly as uh, they spend time with family and friends. Uh, I I believe that uh, Pastor Mel may be might be ministering in another church this morning. I'm not sure that that's vacation, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we just believe and trust that he will have a good time. This morning, as we continue uh, the the, uh, series named Margins, We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount and dealing with all of the things that Jesus dealt with among the believers of his time. The interesting thing is the same things that he needed, knew that he needed to to minister to the people at that time is really no different than it is uh, for our time. Now, this morning... Uh, we're going to be looking in uh, chapter 5. I'm not going to read just yet, but we're looking at verses 27 through 32. They're difficult verses, uh, difficult subject matter. They're ones that we wish to high heaven that preachers would just ignore, and maybe they would go away. But the interesting thing about these verses of Scripture is God refuses to ignore it. He wants us to understand Him. I have, uh, I grew up in a very legalistic, uh, uh, environment when I was a child and, uh, I, I struggled with, uh, sermons where the ministers dealt with, here we go, adultery, and divorce and remarriage. I, I, didn't, I didn't understand it. I didn't want to hear it. And most people who unfortunately have dealt with those issues in their lives want to hear it even less than I did. And so, uh, believe me, I, I approach these two subjects Uh, having spent a lot of time asking God for his heart, not what I have heard preached and the way that I heard it dealt with all of my life. Well, most of my life. So I I just, I'm, I'm going to broach this issue and I'm going to do it from God's perspective and not man's perspective. I don't know about you, but man has a tendency to deal with everything through the perspective of condemnation rather than love and conviction. And listen, I understand even though I have not experienced 
these two uh, things in my life. I understand that it's different for those who did. And I understand that uh, it's beyond your control many times how this plays out in your life. So we're going to talk about it as best I can from God's perspective. Um, I will say this, that divorce stems primarily from, I'm going to use a different word, immorality. That's a very broad word. We always want to attach divorce with adultery. And it isn't always the case, even though it is the case at times. Um, and so, I want to talk to you about it from this different perspective. I'm going to ask questions this morning. I want to challenge you to think about these questions from God's perspective and not from ours. Question, is it immoral to rob someone of their self-esteem and their self-worth? Absolutely. It's immoral. Just as much as adultery is immoral, robbing somebody of their self-esteem and their self-value is horrible. I see a lot of it. Is it okay to abuse someone physically, verbally, or emotionally? It is just as egregious to God to abuse people from any of these perspectives as it is for us to engage in the act of adultery. That's why I say that growing up, it was always from one perspective. But as I've grown, I've understood that it's very broad. And I want to talk about that. Abuse of any kind, and we could list more, is immoral. No matter if it's rape or any other kind of abuse, it is immoral in God's sight. So, how do we create margins in our lives against these things? You know, I've discovered, I've been around for nearly 62 years. I know I still look like I'm 40. Only a couple years older than Pastor Mel. But I've been around for a while. And I've noticed in my life, and and I, I know that I know that I know that it's no different for you than it is for me. But what life really boils down to, and Pastor Mel touched on this last week, is choices. We make choices in our lives. Every act of kindness or every act of unkindness is a choice that we make. 
We like to blame it on our temper. We like to blame it on somebody else. Well, they mistreated me, or, or uh, they did this or that or the other thing to me. And so I had the right. It was, it was okay if I lashed out back at them because they did it to me first. I don't think I've seen a verse of Scripture anywhere that says that. It's a choice. I have couples that come through my office and, and, and they're struggling in their marriage relationship. And I hear some of them make statements like, well, we just don't have a, a, a good way of, of communication. And, and uh, you know, I can, I can be really mean and say mean things. And, and he or she reciprocates that. And, and that's the way that we communicate with each other. It's the way that you choose to react, but you made a choice to react in anger and bitterness rather than to act out of love and out of kindness. Listen, I've had just as many opportunities as anybody sitting in this building this morning to react negatively, meanly, and very unkind and I wished I could say I never had, ever. But I can't say that because Cheryl would call me on it. I, I wish I could say that I've always been perfectly loving and kind in, in every uh, type of response to somebody else. Now, over the course of my life, I've become it's become not easy, but easier because not, not because I'm anything special, but because Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, He's really, really special. And He's always there. And, and, and I hear this voice down on the inside of me all the time. And he's screaming, don't go there. Don't say that. It's just going to make it worse. And if I do say it, it always makes it worse. He knows what he's talking about. So it's important for me to listen and allow Him to empower me to make the choices that are positive and good in my life. You choose every act of vindication or every act of forgiveness. Our choice. Here's another question. Are we living, breathing organisms? Yeah. Is life fragile? Very. And the more I live, the more fragile I realize that it really is. How fleeting, how quick. The interesting thing is marriage in the Bible is equated or compared to our relationship with Jesus Christ. They're talked about on the exact same plane. 
There's nothing, uh, well, there is some things different about it because Jesus initi- initiates that, that relationship and, it, and he's left uh, uh, the marriage relationship up to us. But it, it, they represent each other. And that's really what I want to talk about because if we don't understand God's plan, God's purpose for his marriage between a man and a woman, then how can we build margins? We can't. We have to understand what God has designed for us to have in order for us to create and to build, with His help, these margins that will help us to always react in a godly manner to the best of our ability. Again, uh, I get in the way sometimes. I'm guessing that you do too. Marriage, listen to me very carefully, marriage is a living, breathing experience of life. It was never set up and designed by any government here on this earth. They may set some guidelines and they may tell us to a degree what we can and can't do. But I, for one, choose to live my life according to God's Word and to realize that this marriage is not a legal connection with Cheryl. It is a covenant connection between her and myself and God. The, one of the things that the church has, has failed miserably in is giving us an understanding of what covenant even is. We hear that word and most people's brains go tilt and then they say, well, I, I made a commitment to my wife. I made these commitments in my life, so that must be what it is. No, no, no. Covenant is so far beyond commitment, it's difficult to even put it into words. Marriage relationships, and don't worry, I'm going to come back to covenant. We're going to talk about that. But these marriage relationships are a gift from God. There was one of the things that when I'm counseling with young couples, when they come through my office, the main thing that I want to drive home to them is this is not you just falling in love with each other. This is a connection that God wanted to make because he sees something in you that you may not even recognize yourself. And even, even if in man's, from man's perspective, it wasn't the proverbial marriage from heaven, God has the power and the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit in His Word to make it that way, no matter if we have gotten in the way or not. 
God is a redeemer. God can't do anything else other than what he is. And God is the essence of redemption. So when it comes to failing marriages, when it comes to any kind of a failing relationship, God first and foremost says, give it to me. Just give it to me. I can redeem it. I can give life where there is no life. That's what he did to you. Before you asked Jesus to come into your heart, you were dead in your sin and you had no uh, 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 redemption in your life whatsoever. And God says, because of his pursuit of you, come to me, I'll change everything. And I don't know how he does it, but he puts this life down here, down on the inside of us that we never experienced before. It's real. I had a, 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 an atheist young man ask me a few weeks ago at, at, at a funeral. You know, you, you talk about God like you know him. How do you even know that he exists? I said, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, he said he did. And for me, that's good enough. Not that he did exist. He does exist. And number two, and to me, this is the most important one. I know it here. There is not a person on the face of this earth that can convince me any differently but that he is real and he is my God. And I am his son. So this marriage was designed by God to be this clear example of the relationship between Christ and the church. I know that we're, all of our marriages are not picture perfect. That's because we are not perfect beings. And most of all, we are fighting against a force that we can't see. And many times we don't know how to deal with the force of the devil. And he doesn't want anything on the face of this earth for you but death and destruction. It's his whole goal. And he wants to destroy every aspect of your entire being. And he will do it if we don't set up margins in our lives that hold him at bay. That's what we're really talking about. Here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I looked that up, just pause for a second. That word in the Jewish language was you shall not commit immorality. 
So abuse, adultery, you know, sex outside of uh, the, the marriage covenant. They're all on the same plane to God. So it's important for us to realize that none of us escapes His Word. Let's go on. But I say, verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery in her already, with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of your parts of your body perish than that for your whole body to be thrown into hell or to be condemned. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of your parts perish than for your whole body to go into hell. Listen, God is not, or Jesus is not literally saying, pluck your eye out and cut off your hand. It is more of a symbolic issue that he's talking about, and it really boils down to choices. It's better for us to suppress what we already know here is wrong and keep this relationship strong because it's the one that carries us through life. And then in verses 31 and 32, Jesus said this, And it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of dismissal. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, adultery, immorality, all the same word, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And let me say this, it says woman and infers man. It is universal. It is humanity. And it's equally as wrong for men as it is for women. There's no deference in the spirit realm. Jesus is talking to every one of us there. I'm not really going to speak toward adultery and divorce this morning because we all understand that having sex with someone else other than our spouse is adultery. And for many of us, you know the pain of divorce already. I don't have to remind you. I want to talk about why God told us to protect the marriage covenant and how to, re- how to do that. Protecting any aspect of your mind or your body revolves around making moral and wise choices. Listen, pornography is not moral And it is not wise because it will destroy you. 
It is a stronger addictive force than drugs or alcohol have ever been because it is a physiological effect in you. It grasps every aspect of who you are mentally. It, it affects your soul and it affects your, your, your physical body. It destroys everything. And yet, our society said, well, what's it going to hurt? Everything. It's an epidemic in the church, and it's an epidemic in society. If my numbers are correct, they estimate that 60 to 70% of all Christian men who come to church regularly are involved in pornography. It is not moral, and it is not wise for us to go there. Why? Because of verse 32, 31 and 32. I'm just saying, we need to learn to set up margins, boundaries that will not allow us to go there. And I got to hurry. Hanging around with single women is not moral, nor is it wise. Just saying. Just thought I would add that. If you're married, that is. Men, I'm going to talk to you for just a little bit. And ladies, don't get offended at what I'm going to say for a few minutes. You'll see where I'm going. Guys, you were established. Uh, you're... Let me rephrase that. Guys, you established a covenant with your wife on your wedding day. Now, some people would say, well, well I, 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 the wives did too. Yeah, but it's different. You covenanted that you would leave your mother and your father and cleave or hold to your wife only. Only. She never ever received that same command from God. And I'm not going to go into why, but God knew what he was doing. But you were commanded to leave your mother and father, and you didn't cleave to anybody except for your wife. And you made Jesus did the same thing. He left his father in heaven to establish a new covenant for us. You see, the parallels, that's what I want to talk about, is the parallels between what Jesus did and what God designed us to do in this life. Your wife 
entered into your covenant by embracing that covenant that you made with her. When you promised that you would leave your mother and father and she would be the only person, the only entity of value in your life. It's not just friendship. God says we become one. Jesus came and did all of the work to achieve this covenant between us and him. The only thing that he requires us to do is to believe in him and to confess him as our Savior, our Lord. We have to embrace his new covenant that was made for us. Covenant between husband and wife is a bit more mutual in that we both promise to love, to respect, honor God and each other, to support, help, and care for each other in sickness and in health. Jesus does it all when it comes to this relationship. We just agree with it. Men, God created us, and I could preach for an hour just on this. God created us primarily the sexual aggressors in the relationship. Our wives, though, have the power to accept or reject our advance. With acceptance comes consummation or fulfillment of that covenant. With rejection, you've got nothing. Spiritually, Jesus is the aggressor. He has been pursuing you from the day that you were conceived in your mama's womb until this very moment and for all of eternity. It never stops. You have the power to accept or reject his covenant with you. If you accept it, you consummate or fulfill that covenant and you enter into life. If you reject his advancement, his call, there is no new life. The marriage covenant is life to the couple. And listen, sex is the lifeblood of that relationship, of that covenant. With sex, there is life. Without it, there is nothing. There is no life in the marriage. I could preach on that for several hours. As marriage progresses, that pursuit becomes or should become more mutually aggressive. Mainly because we're giving each other permission because our bodies belong to our spouse. They no longer belong to us. So it becomes more mutual. I'm talking about in the first moments of marriage relationship. 
Jesus is the aggressor. But after we are born again, we also begin to pursue knowing him and being with him. Still parallel. Outside of marriage, this kind of a relationship that I'm talking about will not work. Because God is the only one that can institute life. That is what happens on the day that we say, I do, when we're standing before the justice, before the preacher, and we make this covenant with each other. God breathes life into that relationship. We don't. Sex is basically, in that kind of a relationship, sex is basically reduced to not much more than just recreation. It has no life-giving qualities. With it comes the freedom to come or go as you please. Marriage does not afford us, not legally and not spiritually, does not afford us that kind of freedom. The, our government officials make it difficult because they want people to work through the issues and not just jump in and jump out. Thank God. Hence, and it ticks me off that I was raised in the 60s, but we have this wonderful statement from the 60s, well, if it feels good, just do it. What a horrible travesty that that statement is. They want to equate us to be nothing more than an animal like every other mammal on the face of this earth. We are far beyond that. The Bible tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways. Your ways as a human are far, far superior to any animal. Animals have no, absolutely no, none, nada morality. They'll kill their own. They'll kill everything around them given the right opportunity. Now we can train some of that out of them and breed some of that out of them, but animals are animals and are animals. A lion is a lion is a lion. If you give him an opportunity, he'll eat you. And not feel one bit of more, uh, remorse. We can't live our lives that way. Even people that do things wrong and override the, the, their knowledge of right and wrong, they still know it's wrong. I'm not an animal. We are so far above that. Listen. Listen. And I got to close this down. 
I've been challenged to write a book. I might delve into that one of these days. I don't know. The point is really this. If our desire is to make wise choices in our lives, not only for our sake, but more importantly, uh, so that we can experience God's best and His favor, it's important for us to know why it's so important to Him. Listen, He created you to cherish, to protect, with every ounce of energy in you, the marriage relationship that you have with that person sitting right beside you. And it's not more important to men than it is to women or vice versa. My relationship with Jesus Christ at this point in my life is pretty mutual. I'm just glad that He pursued me until He found me and I accepted His pursuit. The church, I believe for the most part, has failed its people by turning the issue of promiscuity into an issue of law, of right and wrong. Because it gives us a picture that, well, if I do this right here, then God will accept me and I can go to heaven. Listen, read the Old Testament. I was reading in Ezekiel, and I know it's not everybody's favorite book to read. But God said to the children of Israel, even in your harlotry, I was pursuing you. That stuff doesn't matter to him. He just wants you. And I don't know, but God has never condemned me for anything that I have ever done wrong or right in my life. Believe me, conviction comes. I'm thankful for it because it helps me establish the margins and keep them because the Holy Spirit is screaming in my heart, that's your margin. Don't step over that line. And it's only because of Him that I can do any of it. This whole thing should be an issue of conviction. And conviction means this. I believe so strongly in God's plan that that's the way I choose to live my life and that is the boundary in which I will live my life. And make it a matter of prayer. And I'm telling you, God will give you whatever you ask Him for. 
I don't know how in the world he, he made me smart enough to ask, ask him in the beginning that I want his design for marriage and not what I've seen on this earth. But I ask him for that. And as imperfect as it is, it's exactly what he gave us. 38 years long, not 38 long years. And I'm thankful. Keep sending me your kids. I want to paint in their hearts a picture of how to accomplish what God's plan is. And I'll put it this way. If you're struggling or you know people who struggle, send them our way. We want to help them. Let's bow our heads. You know, God's plan for redemption, I think, was laid out as clearly as I could. And I know that there's a chance that some of you don't understand his aggression towards you. I'm talking about he's trying to chase you down. He wants you to have life in Christ Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you don't know that life in Christ Jesus, I want to pray for you. I, I just need you to raise your hand so that, that, that you acknowledged before him that you need him. Any? And listen, if you're here this morning and you've been struggling and you felt condemnation for anything that I've talked about or anything that I've said, I want to pray for you because I want you to see it more from God's perspective and not from the issue of condemnation, which leaves us feeling hopeless and helpless. So if that's you, nobody's looking around, just pop your hand up and break back down. Okay, I see. Okay. And even if you didn't in your heart do it, Let's pray. Father, I come before you today. I'm so grateful that you are a forgiving and redeeming God. And Father, I'm thankful that I know that I know that you will give life where life seems to be waning. Father, I pray for every one of us in this building this morning because every one of us needs your spirit and your power at work in us so that we can do what you've called us to do and we can have what you have wanted us to always have. So, Father, we just trust that you will do a great work in every one of us here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen. Now, if any of you want uh, prayer for any particular thing, uh, we'll have prayer partners, uh, people on the sides over here. Please feel free to come and allow us to pray with you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.